You know, whenever I think about like coming here, like one of the thoughts that just encourages me as I prepare for this moment, I think about you guys and I think, you guys, like why do you show up? Like I know you didn't show up to hear me because you didn't even know I was going to be here. Uh, but um, why do you show up? And I, I think many of you show up not because you can hear Pastor Otis, but you come here to hear from God. Like we show up in church to step one closer to God and his purpose in our life. And I just, whenever I think about that, that just, that just energizes me. It's like, man, I'm, I'm standing in front of a room of people that are just hungry to learn. Um, you're giving your time, your most precious thing. You're giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. And, and uh, that just really encourages me. So thank you for, for coming this morning. Thank you for coming to hear what God has to say. And um, this morning, it's going to be a write-it-down sermon, okay? Uh, there's some notes in front of your um, seats with a pen, or you have a phone, take some notes. I want you to write some things down this morning, because my prayer for you all this morning is not that you would write down my words, but that you would write down his words. Because what we're talking about today is something very practical and something that we have to be intentional about. And so as I'm speaking, my prayer is that he would be speaking to you. And I give you full permission, whenever he starts speaking, just tune me out, tune him in. Because he's got better things to say than me. He's got something that's going to impact your life. So have the pens and paper, stylus, disc, or whatever device you have. Get that ready um, because God's going to speak to you this morning. And at the end of the service, we're going to have that list and we're going to pray God's blessing over it. So you want to make sure you have something for God to bless at the end of this morning, okay? So we're going to take notes because God's going to speak. So let's pray. Father God, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you've called us into your house I thank you that there is a house that we can come to where we can gather in your name and hear from you. And I pray, Father, that we would do exactly that this morning, that we would hear from heaven, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and it would speak to the hearts of everyone in the room, guiding and directing us into what our next steps are. Father, we want to leave this place closer to you than when we arrived. And we ask this to be done by your power and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So since 2021 began, we have been going through this series and just of renewal. Um, God's word to us this year is renew. And when you renew something, you don't replace it. You don't, you don't um, do something new. You renew. You, you shore up. You reestablish. You remind of, about what was already there. And so we've been going over our mission and our vision. And uh, we, last week, Pastor Audie start, started talking about our strategy. So real quick, I just want to, just to recap our mission for Calvary Church. This is what we are all about. This is what we want to see take place. We want to together extravagantly love Jesus and selflessly love people. And when we do that, what we hope to see as as we do that is we want to see people healed, healed, uh, saved, healed, empowered, and launched. And that's our mission and our vision. And that's, we've, we've prayed about that. And that's God's word. That's what God wants to see. But can I tell you something? If we stop there, they're just words. If we don't take it to the next step of figuring out, okay, that's great, but how are you going to get there? See, it's real easy to come up with a mission and a vision. It's difficult to come up with a strategy, 
of how you're actually going to do what you feel God's called you to do. And so our strategy uh, here at Calvary is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped to carry uh, the cross of Christ to their home, to their church, to their community, ultimately to their world. That's how we're going to accomplish what God wants us to do. Whoa, hang on here. So this morning, we're gonna just pick up where Pastor already left off last week. He opened up with Matthew chapter 16. And so Jesus says, um, Matthew 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, before we go beat up on Peter, um, like we often do, I just want to remind you that, that Peter is he's human. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the concerns of God in mind, but the concerns of human, human concerns in your mind. And the reason he had human concerns in mind was because he's human, like me, like you. And so the goal is to get us from being concerned with the humanly things to be concerned with God things. And the tool that Jesus uses is in verse 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's how we get from being concerned about merely human things to be more concerned about God things. Because there's things in us that God wants to to remove and replace. And so each of us have a cross to carry. Jesus said, pick up your cross. Now, I tried to figure out how to illustrate what your cross looks like, but there's so many different people in here. There's so many different callings. There's so many different giftings in here. I don't think I could accurately illustrate what your cross looks like, so we're not going to do that. But after doing this thing for some time and walking um, with uh, fellow believers, I think I can um, articulate what it might feel like to carry your cross. So as you're walking through life and you feel what it feels like to carry the cross, I'm going to let you know this is what it feels like so you can be confident. Okay, this is what it feels like. I'm on the right track. And so what does it feel like to carry the cross? First thing you need to note is what is the cross? The cross is a tool. It's a tool for a means to an end. What's the end? Death. But not just death. A suffering death. That's what the Romans used the cross for. They used to um, impose suffering and death upon criminals. And God uses the cross for the same thing. But in a Christian way. It's a much more positive way. He, he brings death to those things that block the blessings that he has for us. He, those things that get in the way of experiencing what God has for us. And the suffering is not meant to harm you. It's meant to grow you. Kind of like the suffering I'm currently experiencing. I decided after many, many months of going back to the gym, and I'm suffering right now. <laughs> like, it was hard walking up those steps. And... Um, 
And I, I fear going back greatly. But I know that this suffering, although it's difficult and painful, I am one step closer to better health. So there's, there's the good thing. Um, so God uses the cross to kill the things that don't belong, and the suffering leads us to a stronger us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's meant to grow us. It's meant to bless us, but let's just be honest. God uses the cross to bring death, death to those things in our lives that hold us back, that keep us in bondage, that keep us living in fear, uh, things like addictions, desires that aren't exactly holy, selfishness, arrogance, pride. You guys, you know the list. All those things keep us from experiencing everything that God has for us. And Jesus said, I came to give you life, abundant life, joy, peace, strength, and power. But there's just some things that hold us back from God's blessing. And God wants to use the cross to bring the death to those things. And good news, only those things that keep us from becoming who God called us to be. But here's a problem with those things. We're kind of attached to them. We kind of, we kind of like them. Like, we like putting ourselves first. We like thinking we're self-sufficient. And nobody in here, but if you're addicted to something, people like what they're addicted to. Those unholy desires, we desire them. We like what we get out of them. And since we like these things so much, God sees the need to convince us to let these things go. He needs to convince us that his ways are better than our ways. And some things in our life are just better off dead. And the way God convinces us is through the sufferings. And I wish suffering just wasn't as effective as it is. I wish sermons were as effective as suffering. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to come in here and sit down and as the preaching is going, the addictions and the evil desires just leave us and we walk out of here a brand new man or woman, whatever fits. But unfortunately, Sermons can't compare with the effectiveness of suffering. All a great sermon can do is point to a problem and then point to an answer. Sermons can't compare to the success rate of suffering. Suffering is so successful that it caused James, the brother of Jesus, who saw his own brother die on a cross. James, who helped lead the church in its earliest days during one of the most persecuted times. It caused James to write when speaking of suffering, He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Get excited whenever you face trials of many kinds. Like whether they're big or small, get excited. Because the suffering produces something. Those trials are producing in you something. Those trials, they're testing your faith. Do you believe what you say you believe? You believe God can do all things. Let's see you walk it out. Those trials come to test us. And when we can resist the temptation to hit the eject button during those trials, then perseverance comes. And we've got to let perseverance finish its work because James tells us at the end of those trials and at the end of the perseverance, what is produced is a person that is mature, complete, and lacking nothing. That's God's strategy, 
to get us from where we are to where he wants us to be is to deny ourselves, pick up a cross, suffer a little bit through some trials of many kinds and let perseverance well up in us and for it to let it finish its work so that we can be mature and complete. This is God's strategy to get us where he wants us to be, but it won't be the easiest thing you've ever done. On the contrary, carrying the cross will feel difficult and it will feel possible at times, but it will also feel right. Like there's just something about it that seems like the right thing to do. And this is the Holy Spirit guiding you and giving you direction on what to do. As you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus, he will lead you where he wants you to be. And where he leads you, you may feel inadequate, unworthy. You might even feel just plain scared. And if you feel that way, I just want to let you know it's okay. I mean, it's more than okay because it's actually what's expected to happen. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, somebody who carried his cross diligently, um, he wrote in Philippians 2 verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to willing to act according to his purpose. See, God has a purpose in leading you into these places. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is what happens when you deny yourself. You pick up your cross, you follow Jesus. He leads you into places that are too big for you. It's too much for you to handle. You work it out with fear. And that word fear is better translated as respect or a reverence or an awe for God. In other words, you wouldn't be here unless God led you here. Like the only reason I'm here is because I feel like God wants me to be here. If it was up to me, I'd be anywhere else. Because right here, carrying this cross in this moment feels impossible. It feels ridiculous. I feel so unequipped. But I'm here out of a reverence, respect for God. He says, work it out with fear and trembling. Now that word trembling, that is associated with the suffering that comes from carrying the cross. So you walk into a situation and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Um, you begin to think, I can't do this. I don't have the strength of this. This will never work. And as all this nervous thinking begins to happen, um, what is revealed is simply bad theology. I think one of the biggest things God wants us to let go of and, and is bad theology, a misconception of who God is and who we are. God wants us to realize who we are from his perspective. During the trembling, God is revealing some of the things that we need to let go of. As we follow Jesus into these places, what needs to happen is this. When we feel the pressure of the moment and we realize, I can't do this, this is too much for me, we need to remember, I'm carrying a cross. It's supposed to feel this way. I need to resist the temptation to quit and when I can do that, then we'll find the purpose in the suffering. And that purpose is to reveal the bad theology or a misplaced trust. And it's in these moments that we become agreeable with God. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I need to let go of that and, and pick up what you're trying to teach me. If you're in a moment where you think, I can't do this, this is impossible, if you take a moment and just ask some introspective questions of God, why am I feeling this way? What are you trying to teach me? What's, what's happening? 
then the Holy Spirit will begin to give you some very wise answers. And you might realize that what's being revealed is that you might be leaning on your own strength. And God wants to to remove the self-dependency and replace it with a God dependency. And that's the process of carrying the cross. As all of this is happening, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, and God is working in you something that he wants to use you to accomplish his purpose with. So all of this is happening on the inside of each one of us as we pick up our cross and follow him. But God is a multitasker, so he can do many things at once. So as we pick up the cross and God begins to work inside of us, um, he also is working something inside the environment that we're carrying our cross to. His goal is to permeate the world with his truth, and he uses the cross-carrying strategy to do that. So without a doubt, each of us are called to carry our cross. And I use the word our on purpose because my cross is different than your cross. We're called to carry our cross to our world. Uh, Your world is different than their world. So each of us have a uniqueness. So with this in mind, at Calvary, our strategy is to simply do our part to help others carry out God's strategy, which is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped to carry the cross of Christ to their family to their church, to their community, and to the world. Last week, Pastor Artie gave us three questions to help us be intentional as we walk into these areas. Those three questions are, who are the people in each of those areas? Who are the people? What's the problem? How can I be generous? Or in other words, how can I show love? And in the time we have left, I want to look at how we go about getting these answers these questions answered. But before we do that, before we look at how we answer the questions, I want to spend a few moments uh, talking about how we ask the question. You see, knowing the question helps us to be intentional. Knowing the answer gives us direction. But I believe there's a specific attitude in which we actually ask the question that really makes the difference. So in order for us to be successful in carrying our cross to our home, church, and community, and world, we must do one thing and do it well, and that is to humble ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, we read about Jesus. Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the Lord, but he came as a servant. He was the son of God, but he lived as if he was just nobody special. Everybody else were the special ones in his life. He shows us how to ask the right questions in the right way. These are the right questions to ask, but they must be asked with the right heart and intentions. These are not the questions of a boss, an activist, or anybody with this preconceived agenda. These are the questions of a servant. When we ask these questions, they must be asked with a heart to serve, to serve those who we truly esteem as more important than ourselves. Our goal must, to be, must be to serve, not to teach and not to correct. This is how Jesus did it. 
Now, in the process, Jesus did teach and he did bring correction, but the process began as a servant, as a humbled servant. You see, when we deny ourselves, we say no to our will. When we pick up our cross, we say yes to his will. And then we follow Jesus into each of these areas where he wants us to do something. We play a part in God's redemption of this world. And as we're doing that, he's redeeming us at the same time. It's a beautiful process. The proper attitude of humility, though, can most accurately be seen as we carry the cross into that first and most personal area, our family. When you carry your cross to your family, um, you need humility. Most of you in the room are leaders or, or parents in your home. And when asking the questions, the three uh, pertinent questions, the answers can come pretty easily. Who are the people? Oh, my spouse, my kids, my extended family. What's the problem? That might be a little blunt to ask your family. Um, I would maybe say, what's the need for your family? Um, And this is where humility makes a difference. Because as an adult in your home, we all have responsibilities. Bills to pay, projects to do. There are things in your house, if you don't do, they just won't get done. And when it comes to answering the questions for your kids, you know their needs. They need three meals. They need some clothes. One pair of shoes. (laughs) They need to do their homework. And they need a motivational kick in the pants every now and then. We can answer these questions. But if our ultimate goal is to find out how we can be generous or how we can show love, then we can't ask the needs questions from a leader or parent's perspective. It has to be from the perspective of a servant. And if we want to show love, then we have to do what love does as we ask these questions. What does love do? When you walk in love, love leans in. When you lean in, it means you stop doing what you're doing. You put your needs on hold and you place your perspective and opinions to the side and you make the person in front of you the most important in the room. That takes humility, especially if it's an eight-year-old or a 13-year-old or a five-year-old. Um. The next thing love does after leaning in, love listens. Now, listening is more than just hearing. Listening involves concentrating on what is actually being said and not on your response to what you think is being said. Listening requires humility, esteeming their words and opinions as valuable. And when you can listen in love, then love learns. As you listen, you learn what is truly needed in the moment. You can see past the words, past the behaviors, and you see what your child or your spouse are actually desiring or needing from you. Humility makes a difference with these questions. It's not enough just to know the right questions. You gotta have the right heart connected to it. The next area that we carry our cross to is our church. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, uh, but I will say that when you carry your cross to the church, it's where you will find a lot of practical training opportunities. For example, uh, my sister, Debbie, uh, she um, feels a call to teach God's word, and so she uh, picked up her cross and she followed Jesus to Calvary Kids, where every other week she prepares a lesson uh, for our kids. And in the process, she's, she's working out that gift that God's given her. 
She's learned what works. She's learned what doesn't work. Uh, She's dealing with all those things that come with public speaking and and how to handle all that. And then I come alongside of her and I I help her understand how to connect with an audience and how to keep the the content engaging. And so together, um, she's becoming who God's called her to be. Matter of fact, this is what we do with all of our teams. We train all of our teams not just to be better at what they do in each department, but we train them how to be better leaders, how to, how to disciple people, how to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and study of God's word and following um, the Holy Spirit's lead. Because ultimately, we're all called to carry our cross to our community. So when you get out there, we want to make sure you're prayed up, you know how to read the Bible, you know how to follow God's leading, and you have some good theology under your belt. Like Jesus is the way and truth and life. And his sacrifice on a cross really makes a difference and why it makes a difference. And so that's what happens in the process of carrying your cross to the church. You get prepared uh, to do things outside of your comfort zone. The last area for today that we're going to focus on is carrying our cross to our community. Um, Like Pastor Corey mentioned, next week we're going to see some amazing ways to see how we can carry our cross to our world. Uh, But uh, I want to focus on carrying our cross to our community. And uh, I want to end with this because this is where it all began for me. Um, As I began preparing, this was the area that I felt felt God's heart on. And I want to make sure that we leave this place um, with, with this in mind. When it comes to carrying our cross to our community, it has to, the idea of being intentional, it's even more important. We have to be intentional about carrying our cross in all areas, but in your home, you show up there pretty often. Your church, you should show up three, four times a month, hopefully, to that place. But our community, they're not going to come to us. We have to go to them. And when we go to them, it's got to be in humility and in love. And it's this topic of carrying carrying the cross to our community that I am most moved by. Because I don't need to go into a long diatribe about how our nation and our communities are more divided than ever. Over the craziest of things, things that we never thought there would be division, but there's division there. And we're the church. We are the church. We are an organization, a group of people that follow a man who can make a difference in our world. And if we would follow him to where he's leading us and and live out the way he wants us to live, then we too can make a difference. And so I want to talk to you guys about carrying the cross to our community with the three questions in mind. Who are the people? I want to define community. Community is this. Your community are those people you have personal access to. You can make a phone call, you can text, you can shoot an email, uh, you see them every once in a while on social media. DC, unless you know one of them, not your community. Because our calling is relational. It's, re- it's meant to be relational. So unless you have a relationship or potentially can have a relationship, then that's not your community. It, it, it goes into your world. And that's a different topic, different way of getting there. So let's talk about our community, those people that we have connection with, potential connection with, the people at work, the people um, in your neighborhood, even the people that you don't now have a relationship with. Like there's, there's city council members. I don't know any of them. 
Well, I might know one. Uh, but I know they meet every once in a while. I can go to their meetings. I can get their names. I can, I can attempt to talk to them. Those people are in my community. Second question, what's the problem? <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time, right? <laughs> the problem in our communities. But I just want to focus on two. Two of the biggest stumbling blocks I see to carrying our cross to our community. And they are, the first one's labels. I listened to two very controversial preachers. I know they're controversial because I go to YouTube to look at their videos. There's more people hating them and against them than they have videos of themselves. Like these are national speakers, so there's plenty of videos about them all over the place. Uh, but there's a lot of people that disagree with how they, how they preach and how they teach and what they teach. Um, and if I were to give you the labels of these two men, one of them is probably more on the conservative side. Um, in his church, they don't emphasize or teach very much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't even know if he speaks in tongues. To tell you the truth, I've never heard him. I've never heard him talk about it. And his church, his church is, you might call seeker sensitive because he wants to create, and he's very public about this, he wants to create an environment in which lost people feel comfortable. So they change how they do church to make people feel more comfortable. The other guy, he's more on the, on the Pentecostal side. He openly believes in the gifts, preaches we should walk in them, believes raising the dead is something that it should be manifesting in our lives. And the way he preaches, if you're not comfortable with how he preaches, he will say very nicely, maybe there's another church for you, but we're not going to change how we follow God in this house. So if we were just to imagine the labels that are placed on, all those, on those two men, they're diametrically opposed. But if you were to listen to what they actually say, if you were to listen to what they actually talk about, like I have for years you would find that the two labeled men that are diametrically opposed are actually very similar. There's not much difference, really, about what they do, what they believe. They're on the same team. They're pointing in the right, same direction. But here's the problem with labels. We deceive ourselves with labels. Because by labeling people, we think we're helping ourselves define who they are. But the reality is, by labeling people, we guarantee we'll never know who they are. Because when we label them, we say, you vote that way, or you believe this, I label you that way. You, you live this way, this is your lifestyle, then this is your label. No need for me to find out any more information because I already know who you are, what you're about, I'm done. And we, the church grace and mercy, we walk away because we have all the information we need because we've labeled them. And this grieves God's heart because those people that we've labeled, they're the people that we're supposed to reach. God wants us to reach them. We're the tool. 
And the tool is saying to the master, uh-uh, you see what they got on them. You see how they believe? Whenever I think that, God always reminds me how I used to believe. And I get his point. The second stumbling block that keeps us from carrying our cross to our community is ignorance. I know of an educator who works with a lot of great kids. One of them, however, is challenging, let's say. Every once in a while, um, they're called to the room where this child is, and he is pushing furniture over, potentially uh, causing damage to property, and if left undone, could harm other kids. And so in the process of pulling this child out of that environment, this child cusses the educator out. Very fluent in cussology. And as they're walking this child down to a safe place, this child repeatedly kicks and punches the educator to the point where they have techniques to to keep the kicks from causing too much damage. They just move in closer because you can't really get a good wind-up if they're in close It happens enough that they have techniques that they're all familiar with. And so they do what they can. They put this child in in a room called ISS, but they have to make sure nothing's in that room that can be used as a weapon. Numerous times a child has um, barraged this educator with markers and pens that were left in the room, books, pushing desks over. And as I heard this story of how this Kid cusses an educator out, kicks them, punches them, beats them, throws things at them, causes property damage. I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking right now. What the heck? What what is his problem? Like, get him out of there, suspend him, expel him, call the authorities. You can't let this happen. This is wrong. And it's interesting that we know the right answers when we don't know the story. Because when I said what I just said about this shouldn't happen, suspend him, expel him, arrest him, they said, well, he's six. It changes things, doesn't it? Where does a six-year-old learn to cuss like that? And then I think, well, okay, maybe just suspend him for a few days. Give yourself time to heal. Well, when we suspend him, he comes back worse. And we spend more energy getting him back to where he was before. And the reality is, When you know the story, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. So all you do is you just sit there and let a child kick you and cuss at you. 
because you know that you're creating a better environment than where he could elsewhere. You could send him away and and make your life better. But that's not what love does. See, we need to figure out why people think the way they think. One way to find out where we need to learn and grow in knowledge is when we find ourselves saying things like, I just don't know why they think the way they think. I just don't know why they believe that. You've just accurately pointed out the issue. You don't know. I don't know. And as long as I don't know, I have plenty of opinions. But when I take time to do what love does, lean in, I learn something. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something profound that I think will kind of help us understand the who we're to carry our cross to. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The final question is, how can I be generous? How can I carry love into my community? You've got to lean in. You've got to understand that you carry in you a faith that has withstand, withstood thousands of years of persecution. You hold within you the Son of God, Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. He lives on the inside of you. Don't be afraid of having a conversation with somebody that doesn't believe like you do. It's okay to communicate. It's okay to be kind and considerate to people who don't believe like you. And Jesus is reminding of this. Love those who hate you. Love those who persecute you. See, when you carry the cross to your community, it must be done with the heart of a servant. And when you have the opportunity, you ask the right questions, but you do it with the right heart a heart of humility and love. And after you've asked the right questions, you do what love does. Love leans in, puts all, puts all preconceived notions and labels aside and makes that person the most valuable person in the room. Love listens. You listen with ears that truly want to hear the heart and you listen to them and ignore your opinions for a moment. And ultimately, you learn. You learn why they think the way they think. You learn of the hardships they've walked through, and you learn about them what your heavenly Father has always known about them. You learn to love them. I want to wrap up and tell you about a girl named Rebecca. Um, she was 
a member of the LGBT community. And she wrote a critique about an evangelical group in the local newspaper. And in this article, she wrote her impression of evangelical Christians was that they were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, afraid of diversity. And after publishing this critique of the Christian group in her paper, she received an enormous amount of mail with polarized opinions. Some of them was hate mail. Some of it was applause mail. And so she had two boxes on her desk and she placed the mail in each box. But she came across one letter from a local pastor. She received a two-page response and she said it was a kind and inquiring letter. It had a warmth and civility to it. In addition to its probing questions, she couldn't figure out which box to put the letter in. So it sat right in the middle of her desk. And after a number of weeks of sitting there, somehow they connected and they began talking. The pastor began asking questions. Now, I don't know what the letter said, but I know it was written in the right heart because his heart was communicated through the letter. See, when we move in humility and love, there's power connected to our words. And if we move in judgment, there's also that on our words. So our attitude is important. And eventually, uh, she turns her life over to the Lord. And she's now born again and living a lifestyle that um, is biblical. And all that happened because somebody moved with the right heart, asked the right questions, and loved. It wasn't an opportunity to, to win one for the team. It was a moment of loving somebody the way God loved us. And so if you have that list in front of you of those things that God wants you to do, where he wants you to carry your cross, I want you to get it in your hand or in your, in your possession, in your thought. I want you to think about it. Because God wants to lead you to places that you may not want to go. And you need him to give you direction. And I'm going to pray that God give you direction this morning. That he give you the next step. He would give you the wisdom of how to take the next step of carrying your cross.